0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Hale Varsity Club podcast. It's not the
1: Hale Varsity Club. It's just the
0: Varsity Club. It's not the Hail Varsity Club podcast. No, it's just the Varsity Club. Take two. Oh, you want to do a take two? I was just going to roll with it. No, I'm going to do with two. Okay, go for it. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. Excellent. Thank you, Chris Gorman. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast on a weekly basis, that's the guy that always makes fun of me. So we brought him in to intro the podcast this week.
1: It's also why I laugh every single time we start this podcast.
0: Every single time. Because he always... It's, that's Chris Gorman, awesome social media guy at Herdat, is drinking a cold drink, when it's 20 degrees outside, and made me carry it all the way over from the mill that was very nice of you. to our office across from Pinnacle Bank Arena. And my
1: Whoa. computer
0: was not put on silent.
1: Even after I said I just put my phone on silent, my computer on silent. You could have done the same. Because I suck. Um, you said Aaron
0: Sorensen is across from me. Aaron, how are you?
1: I'm good. And we do have Jax here.
0: Yes. Aaron's. How old is Jax?
1: He is going to be eight this spring.
0: I was going to say pup, but it doesn't I mean, really he's apply. He's a puppy. Yeah, he's always a pup. forever puppies. Aaron's dog is in the office, so it's a good day here, even though there's still a lot of snow on the ground. Um, no, but spring football starts on Monday. We're recording this podcast on a Friday, so you only have a few days left. Or depending on when you're listening to this for the first time, it might have already started. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about spring football in a little bit. We're going to get Aaron's takes on Tony Tuioti joining the Husker coaching staff, <laughs> and then. Look at a couple of players that Aaron is um, keeping an eye on when we get through spring. Kyle Cardell is our baseball beat writer for this year, and he's going to come on the podcast for the first time ever, so super cool thing, but he's going to come on and talk about baseball. They had a really, really big opening weekend and then a not-so-good second weekend, so we're going to get his thoughts on kind of which team Nebraska is or if they're somewhere in the middle. We're not going to talk about
1: basketball, I don't think.
0: Um, there's not much not much, not much least, to talk no. about. And if Although, you suffered through, what?
1: I was going to say, if you are somebody that's like, but I do want to talk about basketball. Um, this isn't really giving you an outlet to talk to us about it. But I would encourage you to head to com and read Jacob's Padding the Stats for this week. It does not matter when you listen to this podcast that Padding the Stats will still be on the website and still relevant because um, I did just read it before we started the podcast and he's very fair in his criticism of everything that happened uh, against Michigan and does so in a way that doesn't feel mean-spirited and you know whatever he's just he would he just laid it out very clear that while the commentators are sort of putting full blame on the players he wanted to make sure that you know they're led by someone so you do have to talk about that so if that's something that interests you that is on com.
0: right uh my five things is also going to be pretty basketball focused um well Nebraska- your love hate yes yeah
1: call it what it is it's love and hate mostly I hate call
0: it five things um basket like they five don't, things i mostly hate they don't trust each other um isaiah roby has very little awareness in the offensive end and james palmer has just forgotten how to how to finish at the basket which is so, so
1: strange Ugh.
0: It's all very strange. And I saw something, um, I said we weren't going to get into this, but and, and we're really not, but I do, I do want to comment. I saw a couple people on Twitter that were like, um, basically saying, oh, the media overhyped this team and, you know, this, so. it was a bust. No, I don't think so either. I never said, you know, if you're listening to Andy Katz say that this was a Final Four team, you are always going to be disappointed. That was, I mean, that's a terrible take. This was a team, I always said they could win a game, they could possibly win a second game, that's probably their ceiling.
1: I I really thought they were at least NCAA bound. I think that was fair, and I thought this was the year based on the team, the talent, and just everything really in front of them. Especially when you started at the beginning of the season to see some of the games that they won. Uh, It felt like this is the team that could win that first game in the NCAA tournament. But then it just...
0: Well, they should they should be a tournament team they I just should want to get be. that absolutely out there. They actually- uh, talent uh, the starting five alone should be enough to get this team to the NCAA tournament they started 11 and two they had one of the best defenses in basketball when you looked at it statistically their defensive profile they allowed the kind of shots that a defense wants to allow mm-hmm. they forced low percentage looks they didn't allow three-point shots offensively they were they they knew what they were good at and they knew what they weren't good at and they really stuck to transition and they tried to avoid half court opportunities as much as possible and that was what they needed to do and for whatever reason when conference play started, they lost all of their confidence they stopped trusting each other. one of the things that is insane to me they don't ever find the role man they don't ever have the dump off pass on a pick and roll and it the guy is the role guy is always open and they don't do it and that like you I've seen that play, Three or four times throughout every single game since conference play started, that is a team that does not trust each other. Those are players that do not trust each other, which
1: is so strange. I don't know. Again, like it feels like this could be, I don't know, I don't know. This whole thing is just very odd. And I obviously I have not been at as many games as you and Jacob have been to sort of evaluate. But the season
0: I don't know. needs to end. <laughs> the season needs to be over. Um, okay, let's talk about football. Spring practice starts on. Monday, and Monday. we get Scott Frost and a press conference on Tuesday, I believe, right? The following day. Yep. So, yeah.
1: I mean, for anybody who's like kind of wanting this next week, like obviously we will keep you up to date as we are going Forward into spring practice, what you can expect as far as coverage is concerned. Uh, but if you're looking toward the next week, uh, Tuesday is the big day uh, press conference. We'll get to hear from Coach Frost, players, and then there are going to be round tables with all of the coaches. So we'll, that'll be the first time we get to hear from uh, Tuioti, uh, the new defensive line coach. So that's exciting. Um, but then also, next week's going to be good because. Thursday's Pro Day, so we'll also mm-hmm. get some. Um, obviously, the NFL Combine is going on right now. We'll see a little bit from Stanley. I believe tomorrow is wide receivers, so we'll know a little bit from that. And he probably, as a result, won't do much with the Pro Day for Nebraska unless he's trying to. Uh,
0: if he tests well at the Combine, he's probably not going to do much, right? But and if, if he, he needs, still has something to prove, he'll, right. he'll probably.
1: But we'll get to see some of the other players, like Devine Azigbo, who we thought should have been a combine invitee, um, see him in action. So it'll be a good week for just uh, getting spring ball kicked off and then also uh, getting to see some of those guys that will be trying to find a spot on an NFL team.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Tuioti because that is, like, the big piece of news that has happened since the last time we podcasted, Um, Nebraska. Obviously, Mike Dawson left to go take a coaching position with the New York Giants, which leaves the first— Uh, hole in Scott Frost's coaching staff since he put this group together in 2016 so this was the first hire that he made a lot of people thought he was going to stay within his comfort zone or his wheelhouse so to speak and go with a guy that he either had coaching ties with had coached with uh, had coached for or um, like somebody on his staff knew and the announcement came what was it Monday Earlier earlier this past week um, that Tony Tuioti was coming over from Cal. He spent two years at Cal. He coached outside linebackers in 2017, coached their defensive line in 2018. He was the director of recruiting for Michigan in 2016. Um, he played college ball in the defensive line at Hawaii, coached at Hawaii. He has high school experience in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. He has coaching experience all across the board. And But no ties to Frost. The no ties. Best, the, the closest tie – that you can make between Tuioti and Nebraska's Bill Moose's kid played for him. So, mm-hmm. this this read as Frost looked at the landscape, mm-hmm. looked at a pool of candidates, and said, "This is the best guy for the job, and we're going to take him." And Nebraska's not paying him as much as they paid Dawson. Dawson was at uh, four hundred seventy five thousand salary, I think, a year, mm-hmm. and Tuioti comes in at a hundred thousand less but coming over from Berkeley and getting a $100,000 pay raise in the process because he was at 27.6 or something like that at Cal. Um, nice little cost of living adjustment and a, and a raise for him. So he's doing good and I don't think it was a case of Nebraska skimping out on a coach. Um, they've still got wiggle room to work with for raises in the future with the player pool. Right. Uh, but Tuioti seemed like the best guy for the job. He's a guy who has uh, background in the 3-4 scheme and that seemed to be important, Aaron. What were what were your initial reactions to this hire? Um,
1: I mean, I had an opportunity thoughts? to kind of look at it from a recruiting standpoint because for anyone who was curious, Greg Smith decided to leave us for the week and go to the Bahamas. So. Sure. Yeah, super big jerk, but uh, that gave me a chance, uh, that gave all of us a chance to uh, take the recruiting notebook over for the week, and I had uh, two that I did this week, one for Sunday, one for Monday, and Mondays I focused on, this was prior to the hire being official, but focused on what 2 would bring to Nebraska as far as a recruiting uh, as far as recruiting was concerned, it was so funny because when that got published, people were like, who cares? How can he coach? It's like, but this all does matter. Um, the thing that I think really stood out to me, um, and a lot of people have pointed this out, is during, he spent a season, he spent the 2016 season as the director of player personnel at Michigan. During that one season with the Wolverines, he filled the role of head of the recruiting department and that team finished 10-3 and overall and was ranked 10th nationally um, but he secured the 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 2017 class ranked as high as number three nationally according to Scout so obviously it changes depending on um, which recruiting outlet you consider and look at but I mean that 2017 class had two five stars 19 four stars and just a slew of really really talented players Uh, he was a big part of identifying those players obviously he can't go recruit them all himself but he was a big part of finding and identifying that talent and the other thing that really stood out to me and actually worked out well because on my on sunday in the notebook i wrote about the camps nebraska is going to have the camps and the clinics and he actually has experience with those satellite camps Mm -hmm. so he has traveled the world uh helping run those camps and be a part of them so with nebraska adding that national offensive line defensive line pipeline camp that's uh partnered with adidas this isn't why they hired him, but I said perks are perks. Like, mm-hmm. these are all things that are going to work out, and he's going to be able to offer knowledge of, like, having gone all over the world. I he, He's going to have just a very unique perspective on this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he we kind of have a gut feeling they'll probably put him focused on Hawaii. That was Shenander's region, but it's not like they can't refocus our regions depending on his strengths. but. The thing that you have to look at with Michigan's 2017 class is he recruited all over the country. He recruited people. He rec- he helped identify um, talent in the, on the East Coast. He identified talent on the West Coast. He found kids in Michigan. And again, he didn't recruit all of them himself, but he helped identify that talent.
0: He head up their department.
1: Exactly. So sure. the thing is, is more than likely I have a gut feeling he will be put in charge of Hawaii just because we know that's an area that Frost cares about. Two of his best quarterbacks of all time, Marcus Mariota and uh, Mackenzie Milton, hail from Hawaii. Well, two so, of the best
0: quarterbacks out of that state in recent memory.
1: Yep. So we know that's going to be yeah. an, an area of importance, and not that Shenander hasn't done a good job, but like it is a hard area to recruit. Even Riley's staff—they tried with Banker to go down there and kind of find a like a you know find a footprint there, and it didn't like get really going at the time. Um, but yeah, I would expect him to probably put a focus there and he's got experience and so again outside of the coaching element he brings a lot of intrigue on the recruiting trail and knowing how this staff works as far as building relationships on the recruiting trail it feels like a really natural fit for him to kind of find a spot quickly with this staff
0: well theoretically he opens up a pipeline there because Mm -hmm. he played for hawaii played for the university of hawaii he coached high school in hawaii and he coached at the university of hawaii so he's got He's got I mean he's got ties at every single level in that state, so on paper it should be Nebraska should have no problems kind of breaking in on that that region. I I feel like he might go west coast. Dawson was um East coast, northeast. Yeah, northeast. Yeah, He had a lot of like New Jersey and, and that area. And I I'm curious, um Bergen Catholic was pretty big in this Mm -hmm. last cycle. Nebraska got Ramir Johnson from there, and they've got the top safety in the 2020 class coming out of Bergen Catholic. So I wonder if Nebraska um, has somebody that will continue to recruit that Northeast section the way Dawson did. Um, Mm -hmm. They might not have the same ties that Dawson did. I think that was part of the reason he went to the Giants in the first place. Um, But I'm curious how that shakes out. That's probably a question for Greg Smith. Um, On the coaching side of things, I think the biggest thing with this hire is he knows the three four. And Frost said this on Sports Nightly Wednesday night when he went on that Toyote knows the language. He knows yep. the system and that was important to them to find somebody who isn't going to have to come in and learn their scheme and learn what they are trying to teach the players. And I talked to Mick Stoltenberg about this after you know the news was announced that Dawson was leaving and I asked him because this will be their third defensive line coach in three years. And I asked him, like, is that difficult? And he was like, it, it, it is because everybody comes in with different stuff and different styles and different ways of teaching. And if they don't know the system, like, John Perella didn't really know what Bob Diaco's system was. No. And so Perella had to learn on the fly while he was trying to teach players on the mm-hmm. fly. And that's just a bad – it's a bad situation for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So to have somebody that comes in – like, Nebraska was more than likely going to be taking a step back – um, so to speak, on the defensive line, in turn, because they lost a coach. You, you just mm-hmm. it just happens when you lose that continuity. But it's not as big of a deal as it would have been if, say, they brought somebody over from a four three or somebody that didn't know this scheme, because Cal's three four was very similar to Chenander's three four.
1: And that's that's the key is um, to your point is I, I think sometimes uh, there are some people who are like, well, maybe maybe they'll move away from the 3-4. They're not moving away from the 3-4. So you need to go find somebody who understands the 3-4 that Shenander wants to run versus uh, constantly changing things. And I think at this point, Nebraska is far enough down that 3-4 path. Hi, Jax. Um, <laughs> down the 3-4 path that it, I don't think it would make much sense to switch back to a 4-3 at this point. Um, and obviously it's a 3-4 base. It's not like they can't – it's not like Shenander hasn't put guys in a 4-4. No, like he's put very, front, very run. But you know, having somebody who gets it, who understands his style, is very important, and it does help. To your point of feeling like it was going to take a step back, it's not quite as much of a step back now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because this is,
0: this is a big, uh, this is a big off season and a big, a big season coming up for mm-hmm. Nebraska on the defensive line specifically because this was a unit that didn't create a lot of havoc in the backfield. I don't have the havoc right in front of me, but actually, let me just pull it up. It was a unit that they didn't create a lot of negative plays. Um, Defensive line, have it great. They ranked 98th in the country. So Mm -hmm. national average for percentage of plays that end in a tackle for loss or a forced fumble or a pass breakup from defensive linemen, national average is about 5% Mm -hmm. of plays. Nebraska's defensive line last year was at 3.6%. So pretty bad, well below average. Uh, They didn't create a lot of sacks, obviously. Um, They didn't create a lot of tackles for loss. They didn't really have a guy that could change the game, and they haven't had a guy that could change the game in a while. Um, and I think if you look at the defensive line, that was where a lot of the issues started in the run game last year. Mm-hmm. Um, they struggled a ton to contain teams at the line of scrimmage. Um, they got pushed back. It, it's it's a big off season in terms of strength training, uh, but also in terms of execution on the field. And I think you know they've got Tui already has his work cut out for him, and um, you know right or wrong, I think he'll be he'll be judged a little bit on that because mm-hmm. I I think this is a big I think this is a big season for the defensive line. I don't quite know where I'm going with this, but no, I think it this is. is a big season for the defensive line.
1: It is. I would agree with you. I mean, you have guys on that defensive line that I think we know can be pretty great. Um, so we'll see what they can do. I mean.
0: Right, like I was going through my—so I wrote the five freshmen, five sophomores, five juniors, and seniors to watch all throughout this week, and there was a bunch of defensive linemen that I looked at, and I'm like, hey, keep an eye on this guy. I wonder what this guy can do. This guy has a big spring in front of him. It was a bunch of defensive linemen because they have options. They've got Mm -hmm. a bunch of options, a bunch of intriguing prospects, but they don't have proven commodities on the defensive line. They don't uh, have—maybe the most proven are the, the two Davis twins. Yeah, I don't know that I would put Ben Stilley into that category yet.
1: Not yet, but I think he, I think he has a lot of potential. I think he
0: has loads of potential. Yeah, it's just he hasn't reached it yet.
1: Yeah. So I'm it's- curious
0: if this is the year that he does. It'd be big for Nebraska.
1: We'll find out. We'll find More out. to be seen. <laughs>
0: Any other thoughts on Tuioti?
1: Uh No, I'm just excited to get to know him. Uh, like I said, we will have our first opportunity to talk to him as a media, which ultimately will be the first time really uh, Nebraska fans are getting to hear from him uh on tuesday that like i said they're doing a round table so that will also i'm guessing his table is going to be pretty packed with people Probably. uh but that that's going to be nice because those round tables provide an opportunity to sit down and actually get to know uh coaches in a little bit of a better setting than at a podium or kind of like in a like a crowded little like space of people like just surrounding them it, it will um i haven't been at a in a podium since situation since i guess big 10 media days and even that's kind of like everyone you know not exactly i think the last time where it was like you got to sit around and just talk with some people at a table was when i was at the peach bowl uh for ucf and honestly like that was the first time i got to know like shenander was sitting in an environment like that where you're all sitting at a table and you kind of just are able to talk to them Mm -hmm. and you really do get to know people a little bit. It's just a more relaxed environment, so they tend to loosen up. So I think that will be a good thing for not only the media to get to know him, but also for fans who want to know a little bit about him. I think that environment is ultimately going to give us uh, some good insight into kind of his personality. It won't be quite as, like, formal as him standing in front of a podium. And, like, although I will say uh, a bunch of people noted this on social media this week, and I thought it was pretty funny. If you look at the official photo that the university sent out, he actually has – so take this for what is worse being a defensive line coach. He can't button the top button on his shirt collar. That's how like thick his neck is apparently, and a bunch I can't of people. Do that. No, but I'm just saying. Like I noticed like a bunch of people commenting on that on Twitter and Facebook, and it was super funny because they were respecting that because they were like, that's the guy you want coaching your defensive line. Y'all are so, weird. Yeah, y'all are weird, but y'all like you weird. all are on the same page, so we'll take it.
0: <laughs> I can't button the top button on my shirt collar, but it's only because like. My shirts have to be super weird because I am so short. So if I get a shirt that is big enough to where it fits my neck, it's too long in both length and in sleeve length. Hmm. So, like, I live at a tailor, basically, because nothing fits me. I
1: live at a tailor. Well, yeah, it just made me laugh that everybody on Twitter and Facebook kept commenting about it. So, like you said, y'all are weird, but you know what? You're all on the same page. So yeah, apparently that is a reason to be excited about him. I
0: just want to point out that you get those super lax uh, not really press conference, but availability environments at bowl games.
1: You do, which Nebraska needs to get back. I to miss going game. to bowl
0: games. Let's talk about some players that need to show some things for them to get there, I all guess. Right. So spring is the time where guys really kind of come out of nowhere sometimes. Um, spring last year was where we all of a sudden heard about this walk-on center that nobody had ever heard of before, and all of a sudden Hunter Miller is – number three, pushing number two reps at, at some point in the, in the offseason, mm-hmm. taking number one reps at center. Who are some guys this spring that are kind of on your watch list for players that either A, need to have a big spring, or B, you could see having kind of that same kind of come out of nowhere, oh, hey, we're talking about this person now.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see, and I think you, you mentioned this in something that you wrote this week um, about the – is it this black or the sweatshirt posse?
0: Yeah, the black sweatshirt posse. The black
1: sweatshirt posse. I, they don't necessarily have to have like big springs, but I am really curious to see guys like Casey uh, Rogers and Tate Wildeman, uh, just what they can do this spring. Um, I think when we're, especially when we're talking about like the defense and especially the defensive line, it will be interesting to see what they can provide as far as. Um, I don't know, there needs to be depth in certain places, and I think defensive line is one of those areas where they can immediately provide some solid depth. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to see um, how they do. I'm just looking at the roster.
0: Yeah, Tate Wildeman was on my um, five five freshmen to watch. And basically, you know, Ben Stilley led the line last season with only five sacks. There were ten guys on seven different Big Ten teams who had more. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's that need for Nebraska. The Huskers were 11th in the conference in yards per carry. Um, so there there are there are names that everybody knows on the defensive line, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily think Nebraska is at a point where spots are or should mm-hmm. be locked up. Um, it doesn't it doesn't feel like experimental mode right now, but I don't think they're I don't think they're that far away from it. So no. if somebody like Tate Wildeman has a really good spring, there is no reason he should not get snaps in the fall. Right. And you could say that about a bunch of guys on the mm-hmm. defensive line, Casey Rogers inc- included. Um, so I'm curious what you, like you said, I'm curious what those guys look like because everybody was excited about them last year, and then they had a couple injuries and a couple nicks and bruises that kept them out, and it seems like people have kind of forgotten about them.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, it, I think there's a lot of faces on this, this roster that I think you're going to start hearing – more from them as we go through spring um I'm just looking at like I'm just looking at the roster obviously we talked about Ben Stilley um and what he could do as far as like the defensive line I think he's a name that you kind of have to keep in mind mm-hmm. uh, we jokingly talked about this and I know he is on your seniors to watch list but we did talk about Caleb Lightborn a little bit when we mm-hmm. were walking to grab coffee before we started this podcast and what's interesting to me about Caleb is he is in a really unique situation where um, yeah, he technically has a red shirt that he could utilize, but like who wants to take a transfer punter that would you, you're essentially burning a scholarship for two years for a punter to play one? That's not exactly like intriguing to most programs unless they're absolutely in dire need. Like they're going to like absolutely have to have somebody. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, what a lot of programs would look at is like he wouldn't be able to play right away. Yeah. So you're looking at like a program needing somebody in a year. And in that case, a lot of them would just go recruit recruit somebody right out of high school. Yeah. Yeah, so he's in a really unique situation. But I will say this, for as much crap as he has been handled, and some of it deserved based on performance, but for as much as it is, if he sticks it out at Nebraska and graduates from Nebraska as a member of the Nebraska football team, that is worth at least commending him for because he is in a situation where a lot of people would have bailed. And he will have stuck around for better or for worse. And if nothing else, even if he never sees it to the field again, although I think he could make a case for, like, kickoffs, and he could still compete for that punting spot if he works his butt off. But I think we have to at least give him credit for sticking it out. Because so many people would just be like, screw this, I'm done. And he may feel that way. We don't know. But, like, he at least, like, is in the weight room. Mm -hmm. Participating. Mm-hmm. He's not hiding. Like, you mm-hmm. even sent that video to us, and we're like, hey, look, like, he's right there. He's not hiding. Yeah. He's very present. So, that's worth at least, like, hey, good for you, buddy. Yeah,
0: Zach Duvall tweeted that video of Isaiah Stahlberg um, squatting, mm-hmm. and Caleb Lightborn was right there, one of the first people to congratulate him. So, Caleb's still in the weight room, and he also still looks like a linebacker. Let's talk. And he still
1: looks like a linebacker or a tight end. <laughs> you know it's <what's> funny? <laughs> he looks like that? a line. He, he's huge. He is huge. You know what's funny is when he. So. I, I'm afraid to tell you this. Um, you know he's like a giant soccer fan, right?
0: Why are you afraid to tell me this?
1: Because I feel like, I feel like the, we should be best buds. So. I know this is why I'm saying. Like, okay. I feel like you're gonna just spend all spring wanting to talk to him about the different soccer stuff. So he's a giant soccer fan. Um he spent his whole life growing up with people telling him he should be playing a different position on football. You should be playing tight end, you should be a linebacker, you should do something with your size. And because he loves soccer so much, all he wanted to do was kick. <laughs> but it's so funny because he spent he grew up his Whole time playing football with people telling him you need to be doing something else because that's what it's in the story I wrote about him a few years ago. Uh, he said he's like, yeah, everyone tried to talk me into a different position. I just really like to kick. So
0: Caleb Lightbourne is now my new favorite person.
1: Yep, keep an eye on him. I, his evolving friendship with Derek.
0: I mean, we can talk about the competition side because I don't think that I think that's a position battle. I don't think Isaac Armstrong has that position locked up.
1: No, I think if Caleb can figure out how to put the ball where Frost wants him to place it, if he can figure that out, you were right. He he can match, if not maybe out kick from a distance perspective, he's got the leg.
0: Well, yeah, he was on kickoff. If if he doesn't, I mean, if he doesn't have a like, if he can't boom it, he's not he's not on kickoff, and he was on kickoff all last year mm-hmm. and maybe that was i mean armstrong has a leg they they if they really wanted to i'm sure they could have tried him at kickoff mm-hmm. but caleb from a, a physical tools standpoint he has everything that you need to be a good punter in this league to me it's about what's between his ears it's about his confidence level yeah. and it's about not getting in his own way and You know, the the whole reason he lost his job last year was because of placement. Placement is something that you can fix. Placement is, for all of the bad things that happened under Bob Diaco in the year that he was here, the one good thing was his work with Caleb.
1: Yeah.
0: And he got Caleb to Oddly
1: enough, of all things.
0: I mean, it was a detail. And Diaco knew what he was talking about. And Caleb listened, and he went from 12th in the Big Ten Conference his freshman year in punting average to 6th. Mm-hmm and that stuff helps. I mean, last year his uh Isaac Armstrong allowed only like 0.2 yards per return mm-hmm. on like punts that were returned by the opponent. They were, they only averaged 0.2, which is absurd. That's mm-hmm. not a that's not a number that you can replicate year over year. That's crazy. That's coming up. But Caleb was like let me look. His his number was also crazy on the high side though. Caleb's was 16.4 yards a return. So 11 of his 24 punts were returned. Only two of them were down inside the 20. That's placement. That's not I mean he's not maybe some of them are out kicking his coverage cuz he can do that. He mm-hmm. a lot of times he's he was just catching it trying to get rid of it as fast as possible yep. because they changed his well, snap. snapper. and I do want to talk about that um, in a second. And
1: cuz it's my hill to die on.
0: Yeah, I know. We're gonna we're gonna end up spending like fifteen minutes talking about punter. Um, he's
1: the most important position on a team.
0: But it he he's he's it's a competition. And it is. it's not Isaac Armstrong's job. Caleb still has a chance.
1: Yeah, because I think and problem. I will keep this as short as I can, and I talked about this a little bit last year. It was funny, I got a little like negative uh reaction from some people who were like, it doesn't matter, it's about like work, and I, I agree hundred percent. But we do have to remember, um, Caleb is in his head, and that is like the talent is there. The mental things, for whatever reason, is an issue. Um, but what they did last year that may not seem like a big deal to an outsider, and I I did talk with uh, DeWitt about this because I was very curious about it. And when they changed who was snapping, so they went from it was an Ober, Lightborn, partnership which Mm -hmm. it was never going to be because Ober was going to eventually graduate um but that's who he had been working with uh when they changed it that punt snap count changed just a teeny bit and it's amazing how much that can like throw things off and so what you saw happen is Caleb because of that like hair of a second, like, it was so minimal, but it was enough where he was feeling uncomfortable from the protection and the coverage. In the time that he was getting the ball, you started to see him roll out right, and he mm-hmm. started rugby punting as mm-hmm. a result. That is not what he was supposed to do. They did not want him to rugby punt, but he was doing it because he didn't feel comfortable. So, yeah, that's, that is on Caleb. He should have been trying to, like, but in his mind, he's looking forward and seeing, like, I'm going to get my punt blocked, so I need to get out of this situation and get it off. So that's what I would be curious about. Can he work on that this off season, with whoever he'd be taking snaps with, to feel comfortable in the coverage and not have to feel like he has to like compensate by, you know, moving and rugby punting? Because- and it
0: it wasn't just—I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it wasn't just like Caleb was like oh, like being panicked. So Chase Urbach's snap was slower than Jordan Overs whenever they clocked it and there is a range, and it it was slower by like a few tenths of a second, if I remember correctly. But there is a range where a few tenths of a second changes from you're in a safe zone to where you're not in danger of of having a punt blocked to suddenly if if you're a few tenths of a second slower, you get into a range where statistically teams are more likely to be able to block your punt, to be in a position where they can block your punt. And it's just, I mean, go watch a punt. Watch the play, Mm -hmm. clock it. It's a very, very fast... Snap to punter to kick. It's very, very fast. Yeah. And so, but those defenders are also very, very fast and they're coming very, very quickly. So when mm-hmm. you change the snap speed by just a few fractions of a second, it's going to get guys out of their comfort zone because it mm-hmm. gets them out of the rhythm that they're used to kicking in. And the second they made the change,
1: Things fell he off. started
0: rugby punting. Yep, it was It was like... It was instantaneous, and you can see it. Whenever they changed from Ober, Ober to Erbach, he started rugby punting, and that was because he was afraid of it getting blocked.
1: Now, with that said, the reason that they made that change is Erbach is actually better at getting down the field faster. He was he was much quicker at getting down the field than Ober was. So Ober had kind of been the, the um, long snapper that sort of he would snap, and then he would brace. Like, his whole thing was, like, snap and brace. Like he's, he's not, like, taking off down the field as much. Like, his point is to just block, whereas Urbach because we saw him like so many times be like the guy going He's after like one of the first the or the second
0: guys down the field. He's
1: very fast, so mm-hmm. they saw that as an opportunity. I agree with them. I think that was very smart. It did just mess with things on the the back end a little bit, and mm-hmm. an, that's not saying one thing was better or worse than the other. They did what they had to do, but now it's on Caleb to figure this out. Can he get out of his own way? And for the record, when I went through this whole thing of trying to figure this out, I didn't just talk to do it. I talked to former Nebraska long snappers i talked to former kickers that have been with caleb i talked to punters, uh, people who don't even know him that are and it's it's something that is it's something to be factored and so again i think this goes into we talked you talked about special teams the questions facing special teams in 2019 mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pieces to yeah this seems like a minimal part of the big thing but it plays it plays a part in the overall questions that you know you're gonna have
0: well this is where i wanted to steer the conversation next because Jack, special-
1: jack's just stretched so big so he's stretch. bored with us i'm sorry everyone
0: this is where i wanted to steer the conversation next because special teams is not going to draw a ton of ink this off season but it is very very important for nebraska specifically because this offense is very good but statistically when you start at the 29 yard line as opposed to the 25 yard line it told me this number. It's something like you're 75% more likely to score points on that possession. And it's a difference of five yards, starting mm-hmm. field position. And Nebraska last year, they averaged starting field position at the 26-yard line. Opponents averaged starting field position at the 31-yard line. So that stuff has to improve. And Nebraska was terrible uh, in terms of national ranking in both numbers. It, it was really bad. They were 123rd. Offensively, an average starting field position and 105th. Yeah, so bad in uh, average defensive starting field position. That th- that stuff has to improve. But it also they've got to find some guys, and this goes back to the the whole Erbach versus Ober getting down the field thing. They've got to find some guys that will commit to it mm-hmm. because special teams with this staff is very very important. And they don't play end of the end of the bench guys. They play in some instances starters. Mm-hmm. And last year they for whatever reason didn't commit to special teams. Players didn't embrace it. They didn't think it was a big deal. And for the first six games, Nebraska sucked on special teams. And something happened so at the strange. Something happened at the six game mark and they started caring about it more. And like ever <laughs> It's funny, the wins started coming. The special teams started getting better. They were
1: But can I say something really quick just as a little like asterisk to all this? Yeah, go for it. You know who special teams really mattered to? Trey Neal. And where did he come from?
0: He played on special teams all the time.
1: But he played – he played. He came from a mentality of what was at UCF. Yeah. So that was something that clearly was preached at UCF that he brought yeah. with him to Nebraska. And the fact that he – like when I talked to DeWitt, one of the very first people in DeWitt's office when fall camp rolled around last year was Trey Neal, And he said, use me wherever you need me to play. That You need more of that. And unfortunately until, like you said, the sixth game of last – like middle of the season last year, that – wasn't happening
0: okay enough special teams talk offensively guys like Jalen Bradley guys like Javon McQuitty some of the guys that are maybe in danger of getting passed up what do you see what do you see happening with them this spring
1: I hope that they I mean those are guys that I think we've been waiting a long time to see what they can do and this is that this is the chance especially when you think about okay I'm now gonna go give me a second I want to pull up my list I had I had the roster pulled up and then I closed it because I'm an idiot
0: should have had a list ready to go of players that you wanted I to watch
1: did but you know i didn't write the story like you did um ooh, i just... even gave
0: you a cheat sheet you could have just picked from them
1: you could i'm opening uh your list right now um doo-doo-doo. let's see um yeah so okay the one let me think okay so here's what i was trying to say <laughs> i had to like gather my thoughts so running back the running back room has a lot of question marks for 2019. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of Jalen Bradley, this is an opportunity to take advantage of those question marks because there's a ton of potential there for him to kind of find his niche. Uh, that's where I, I'm really curious with him. Can he find his groove within the the running back's room? Can he find a spot? Can he carve that out for himself? Because it's, it's there for the taking. I think we all kind of know running back um, – you keep adjusting the wire.
0: It just like keeps, your mic keeps going to where it's pointed away from your your mouth and where you're talking. So I'm just trying to make sure that everybody can hear you perfectly.
1: It's fine. No one needs to hear it. Um, no, I just, he's somebody where I think we had, we talked a lot about him when he was getting recruited. There was a ton of excitement about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited to see what he can do, especially for the running backs room. And I think that this is kind of one of those things where it's it's time for him to step up. And we'll we'll see. Now I know like I'm looking through um
0: we'll look at the running backs that are on the could, roster. Yes. And then look at the ones that are currently here. Or or I guess here's a better way to phrase that. So think who who do you
1: jeez Mm-hmm.
0: How do you envision the depth chart shaking out? Who's number one?
1: Uh, I don't know. Just real quick. You? like Let's
0: say week six. Who's number one on the depth chart? Probably you. Maurice Washington.
1: Well, you, Come on. Maybe. Okay,
0: just take everything else out of the equation. It's just
1: okay, it's if, football if, only.
0: Maurice Washington if, is number one, right? If
1: ultimately everything that is going on with Maurice Washington proves to be something that does not take him out of consideration, yes, he would be your starting running back.
0: I could see there being a... Three game suspension, so we're talking week six. Okay. Okay, so Maurice is who would be the second string running back?
1: Gosh, it's hard when you look at this list. Cedric Mills. Yeah. Or. Ramirez Johnson. Yeah, I was gonna say Ramirez. I was kind of. I'm just looking at this. Oh man.
0: Are those like your top three guys when you look I don't at know, it?
1: Like what? What do you do with? What do you do with Wyatt? I
0: think. I think. So. Frost said this on Sports Nightly, um, Greg Smith has been saying this for months, so if you read him or Which listen to him, so. you, you would know, <laughs> Wandale Robinson is mostly going to play that Duck spot yeah, in the wide I receiver, mean, yeah, he's I not going with... to be in the backfield. I think Miles Jones and Wyatt Mazur will also be in that, that same situation, where majority of their snaps, if they're on the field, they'll come in flexed out wide
1: yeah and that's fine I I agree but I think he's still the thing that you kind of like when you're looking at this list of running backs I think the reason he stands out to me as a bit of a question mark is because of his age yeah being a senior kind of does seem like he might be a little bit more it might be a little more flexible with him like if you need to plug him into a place maybe he's the right fit depending on a situation I agree with you though like and I know that Greg has talked quite a bit about that um and you guys have I just the reason I still put the question mark there is because he is a senior and he has experience on the mm-hmm. field, and so depending on what they're looking at, and and maybe I'm talking like if, well, he
0: was on my five seniors. I agree with you.
1: I'm just saying, I like, like, like maybe if you know, maybe if they're dealing with something where like Washington is out for a period of time, maybe he then becomes more vital across the board. Um, but yeah, I mean this this group has just a ton of like I'm looking at. Uh, uh,
0: Well, here's the point. Because, like, you
1: got Miles Jones, and, like, Miles Jones has a ton of potential, but we don't really know what to expect from him.
0: Here's the point I'm trying to get at. Dedrick Mills and Ramir Johnson and Ronald Tompkins are not here yet and will not get here until the fall, meaning they're not going through spring. It's very likely that Washington doesn't, isn't, at the very least, is not a full participant in spring practice. So... This is Jalen Bradley's time. Spring ball is Jalen Bradley's time.
1: This is your moment. <laughs>
0: like, He's a very, very real opportunity in front of him, and I'm curious how he handles it. Last year, there were some things off the field. Um, I think I've talked about this before. Greg has talked about this. I think Jacob maybe wrote about this or did this in a mailbag. Or he talked about it. There were some things off the field before the season started that really affected him on a personal level, mm-hmm. and it slowed down his season and he didn't really recover from it but this there's a very real opportunity in front of him in the spring because of the makeup of this running back room there's talent there but most of that talent is not going to be around this spring right meaning Jalen Bradley a guy who was recruited by Frost at Central Florida a guy who everybody thought would fit this offense really well what are you going to do with your opportunity Yeah, that was the point I I was trying to get with. I think this
1: is Jalen Bradley's time. If he is going to take advantage of it, any period of time to make a name for himself and solidify playing time in 2019, this spring is it. And hopefully, he takes advantage of it. Because good grief, do they need some help in the running back room right now? Which is not to say like which is funny because it's not to say like Held hasn't been doing his job. He's been helping recruit, like. No other, and he's got some. He's got some talent in that room. It's yeah. just more of a question of who's going to step up and kind of carry the workload. for this Well,
0: role. they're just not here yet. Correct is the thing. Like they're yep. not getting here until the fall. So like yep. this, this, like he, like I'm not saying Gosh. hell didn't recruit. They're just not here no, yet. No,
1: I know. I'm just saying because I think I've I, I could see some people being like, oh, well, you know, what, what's the recruiting like? And it's like, uh, huh. yeah, I don't know if that's quite. It's just there's.
0: One more name. Give me one more name and, and we'll, yeah, we'll get Kyle on here to talk baseball. Not running backs, just one more name in general.
1: Oh. Um
0: And it can't be Caleb Lightborn.
1: <laughs> I just saw his name and I was gonna jokingly say it, so I hate you. Um let me look. We, I knew here. that already. Let me look. I feel like I want to take can I can I take a position group instead of a like a name? Sure. Uh the offensive line. Oh, it's um, a cop out. No, it's not, because I'm very curious to see what happens at center. Um, you should I will, have just said center. Then I know, but like Cam Jurgens, what ends up happening with him is he healthy? Um, is he able to play? Has he put on the weight? Is he the right guy? I mean, there's so many questions that you have, and if he's not, and you end up going with somebody else, how do how does every other position on that line shake out? So I think that starts with the center. So let's give it Cameron Jurgens. Let's say it's it starts and ends with him, but then it ultimately it's gonna it's going to play a factor into what everything else looks like. Cool. Um, the one thing I do want to leave before I I get off out of the, get out of the podcast loft, whatever the space is called, and get, bring it's off. It's not a
0: studio. It's a room because I don't room. have soundproofing in here We'll yet. get
1: there. Um, you know, the other big news of the week, and I just wanted to say this, is um, we did find out that uh, Jovan DeWitt, um, is battling a type of throat cancer uh frost did say that on sports nightly this week and all there really is to say about this at this point is that um obviously our thoughts our love if you're a praying type your prayers um just whatever uh positive vibes are with him and it sounds from what's you know frost has said it's a positive um it, it looks like there's a it's a
0: Pretty positive diagnosis.
1: Yeah, and it has a good outlook. And, you know, obviously he'll be a little bit unavailable through spring ball. But this is, for me, a reminder that there are things in life that are bigger than sports. And his health is paramount. And hopefully everything goes great. And he's back on the field soon and stronger than ever. But he is the Mm -hmm. kindest human, the nicest guy. And we wish him nothing, nothing but the best. And, um yeah, I, I. that's not to say he won't be around at all this spring. So it'll be nice when we do see him because I think that will be always a good reminder of like, again, we love these sports. It's, it's the reason we do what we do. But obviously life, there are things in life that are bigger than all of this. And it's a good reminder that the people are always paramount to all of the other drama that happens on the field. Well so, put.
0: Yeah. Aaron, you got work to do?
1: Nah, I'm just going to go hang out with Jax.
0: Okay, well, that's still work. Just (laughs) air quotes around the work. Work. Um,
1: Jax just shook his tail, so he's in agreement.
0: You will have stuff throughout this upcoming week as spring practice gets started, and I think we are all waiting on the edge of our seats to read that.
1: What? Kyle! You're up! Oh, you're talking about the stuff I'm working on for the next issue of the magazine.:
0: I was just talking about it in general. Oh, no. Are you I just not going to write anything until no. the magazine?:
1: No, never.
0: Cool. Get out of the podcast room now. <laughs> I tried really hard to to transition us from Aaron to you. Aaron wrecked it as she does with most things, making his first ever uh, varsity club podcast appearance debut. Kyle Cardell is here.
2: What's up, man? Dr. Petey, thanks for having me. How are I'm, you? I'm excited. Good to be glad to be here. Good. Uh, you have the coolest
0: Adidas shirt I've ever seen. Wow. Um, it's like a heathered gray shirt with the the old school Adidas Originals logo
2: script Lincoln. Very nice. Uh, I think I got it at the bookstore. Maybe a shout out to the bookstore if you want to check it out.
0: Very nice. Sponsor this podcast, bookstore, and we will continue to give you shout outs. <laughs> Kyle, you're covering I'm baseball curious. for us this year. I am. Excited
2: about that? I am. It's a new new experience for me, and I'm learning the game of baseball like never before. So um, it's a pretty simple game, but there's a lot more to it than than you think when you get into it.
0: I call it stickball. Stickball. So, uh, for the remainder of this podcast, that will be referred to as stickball, just <laughs> as an FYI. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about the... I'm pulling up there. So they're 3-5 right now. Right. They opened the season February 15th through the 17th, an opening weekend out in Riverside, California. They... The bats just went wild against UC Riverside. They, I think they had 45 runs total, yep. um, something crazy like that, or 46, or it's looking like 47 runs against UC Riverside, and they went 3-1. And, and then they played the defending national champion, mm. Oregon State Beavers, in Arizona. Surprise, Arizona. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> they got blasted. So the question that I have for you first, and kind of the jumping off point for this conversation, which team team is Nebraska. Like They disappointed last year. They talked all offseason about how they wanted to make sure that didn't happen again. And for the most part, they really they said the right things. They did the right things in the opening weekend series against UC Riverside. Um, and then the one that stands out is the 17-1 game against Oregon State. Yeah. Which Which team are they? Are they that team that looks really really good and has hot bats? Or are they the team that isn't quite ready to compete with some of the top programs in the sport or is it are we are just overreacting and they're somewhere in between
2: yeah that is uh, a question that i think coach erstad wouldn't even give you a straight answer he's he brought up that he's not a coach at all to make excuses but he said obviously conditions haven't been ideal they run into they have a pretty Expected opening weekend with the with Riverside take care of business go three and one mm-hmm. and then really the this competitiveness in the series against Oregon State wasn't there they um, why had, do you think that is they you know Nebraska hasn't got more than four innings out of a guy right now in a game um, at pitcher they're they're really rotating through guys trying to find who who's their guy at pitcher right now Oregon State obviously has a solidified Incredible pitching staff, and they really, really took it to Nebraska. and Nebraska struggled to hit the ball. Um, but I think um, that the qu- answer to your question is to be determined. Um, Coach Erstad said, like I said, he's not one to make excuses, but he really said they haven't been able to get into a rhythm yet. Um, go out. They've had, I think he said, one live pregame batting practice all year. That was the first game of the season. Uh, conditions here obviously are terrible they're inside all the time right and they uh,
0: moved the they moved their opening series right. here at home to was yep. it Frisco? Yep uh yeah. to well oh, to Baylor to, 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 to yeah, Baylor was the opener and they moved it to Waco.
2: Yep. So they're practicing indoors and then they go to surprise Arizona they bring the rain with them there. They have a 45 minute rain delay there. Uh just kind of crappy conditions there. They'll go to frisco this weekend it's supposed to be in the 40s so they really keep hitting these they can't escape the weather (laughs) no so i think it's to be determined once this team gets in a rhythm i think we'll really find out what they're made of they're they are young um they've got a the only two guys that have really gotten going on the mound for nebraska you might say is waldron um and then who else Waldron and then Nate Fisher, two seniors on the mound that have really took some command. But otherwise, we got some young guys um, that will have to settle in, and that, that goes for the bats too. Okay.
0: Yeah, it seemed. I mean, they have only played eight games. We're still very early in the season. So yeah, and you run it.
2: into the defending national champs, um, obviously. Not easy to do. They know what they're doing. They've been there, done it. Um, this weekend it doesn't get any easier. They faced number three Texas Tech uh, right off the bat tonight. Um, and then they'll have number twelve Mississippi State um, as well this weekend. So, and Sam Houston State is no slouch either. They they were up ten to two on ranked TCU. So trial by fire, basically. Is yeah, what you're saying. they're getting thrown right into it. Uh, but they'll be should be ready and tested by the time Big Ten comes around.
0: What were your initial impressions of this team when you first started getting in media scrums and you know listening to Earstead talk and talking with players? What were, What were your first impressions?
2: Yeah, I think they bring a level of youth and excitement again um, back to a team that um, really had a down depressing year last year. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of much to be happy about last year, so they brought in the number 16 ranked freshman recruiting class this past year, bringing a lot of youth and a lot of guys that that Coach Erstad says they think they're pretty good. Um, Well, they're going to find out because they get thrown into the fire right away, so I think initially, really a lot of youthfulness, a lot of excitement to just be playing baseball. Now they're getting tested for the first time. So it'll be really interesting to see how they respond this weekend against high-quality opponents again, and then once they get into conference play. But I think everybody's just ready to turn the page. Obviously, they had some guys, uh, some upperclassmen that have had success. Like Coach Erstad said, they've two years ago, they won the Big Ten mm-hmm. regular season. So they've got a good combination of some experience that have been there, done it, want to conference championship and then uh, bringing some youthfulness, too, to kind of bring back the fun of the game after last year. What does your gut tell you about how this season's going to go? Oh, man.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> Make yeah, you give but, a hot take on your first yeah, first I, podcast.
2: Honestly, if, if they can get the bats going like they did that first series, they have a really consistent, had a really consistent approach all the way through the lineup. Um, if they can keep those bats hot like that, it's going to be Tough to keep them from scoring runs um they're not going to run into Oregon State every weekend um, that's good <laughs> thank God <laughs> it's a good thing because uh, they they really showed how how to uh not hit the ball against oregon State but um you know I think Michigan Minnesota are two of the upper teams in the big ten I expect Nebraska to be to be up there in the top top five for sure um they're young it's going to depend on how the how these young guys adapt and develop
0: what i know injuries on the mound were a big concern last year i didn't follow it as closely as other i guess talk to me about their health in the bullpen um if that's a concern again this year
2: like yeah. what's
0: going on with the pitching
2: yeah um obviously guys aren't 100 percent we saw that with with chad linsman there's a lot of a lot of excitement behind him he comes in his freshman year and just tears it up, gets uh, Big Ten Freshman of the Year, I believe. And um, he uh, he's been out with an injury. Also, Connor Curry returns. They've both shown flashes of them the their old selves. Connor Curry had a good first weekend. Um, I think once they get a hundred percent, they're going to have guys to fill that rotation. But right now, they haven't got more than four innings out of a guy in one game, maybe five. Um, so they they're really looking for a guy that can. Sustained pitches go six, seven, eight innings would be great. Um, so right now they're they're really throwing in guys, and then you throw in um, Kyle Perry, true freshman, uh, Colby Gomez, true freshman as well. So those those two guys are gonna be big help, but obviously they're true freshmen. Um, but look look to keep those seniors going with Nate Fisher, um, Matt Waldron, Mike. Both the Waldrons have really pitched pretty well, so. If they can get sustained innings out of guys, I think they'll be fine. Um, really don't can't afford to more injuries, but I think if they can get the guys to go innings, get the upperclassmen to go innings like they can, I think they should be fine. What's your impression
0: of Erstad? Some people find him prickly. <laughs> some people find him I, he's not their cup of tea. Some people like him. What's your impression of him?
2: I you know you're, initially when you meet the guy, you. You're scared, but no <laughs> intimidated. Yeah. But I love the guy. He's as straightforward as it gets. Okay. You ask him a question. He's just, he'll, he'll make you feel dumb sometimes if you ask him a dumb question, which yeah. I, I love it because, uh, he's not going to sugarcoat anything. Uh, he, he said he was, he was tough on the guys this last weekend. And I, I would have liked to hear what he said because, uh, he doesn't sugarcoat anything and I, I like it. That's kind of, you know, frost kind of has that same tone. Um, Similar, I'd say, but even Erstad's even more just straightforward, but usually all business and could could scare you the first time you meet him. Yeah, he's a
0: straight shooter. He didn't seem the limited interactions that I had with him last year. He didn't seem like a guy who was going to spare feelings when he nope. was <laughs> talking about players. So I like that. I think it makes for fun interactions.
2: Yep, and kind of goes back to that. He doesn't make excuses either, and that's you're not going to hear it from him. Um, so he's not going to make excuses for their their poor start. um, but he did say it hasn't been ideal for sure to start the season. Sure.
0: Are you more excited for football to start again, or uh, more ready for basketball to be over?
2: Oh, yikes! I'm yikes. I've been a I'm always a football guy. So uh, <laughs> been a football guy my whole life. So um, can't wait for football to be back, especially with the return of we got some dudes on offense that this should be fun to watch. Sure. Uh, I mean, Adrian Martinez obviously out, probably outperformed everybody's expectations last year, and then mm-hmm. bring, bring him back year two. Look out, should be fun if the defense can play some defense and like like they can, um, like they showed at the end of the year. Gonna be a fun year.
0: I'm gonna put you on the spot. I didn't prepare you for this, but one of the things <sighs> that I asked Aaron this, and we talked about this a little bit with Brandon on the last podcast. Who's a name, somebody that you're really want to keep an eye on this spring or somebody you think could have a big spring in football
2: mm-hmm. hmm. yikes man I've, I've heard so many great exciting things about the McCaffrey kid obviously he's uh i haven't seen him at all in person mm-hmm. but if he can bring the the speed to the table i they say they're gonna play him at quarterback right yeah that's what i that's what i keep hearing mm-hmm. but oh, man it'd be fun to see him get thrown in there somewhere to He'll- make an immediate impact
0: yeah He'll more than likely redshirt his freshman year. They want to keep him at quarterback. Uh, but he has exceeded expectations in terms of how quickly he got here and learned the playbook. So, I, want, I, I mean, he he's a guy that we haven't talked about a ton recently, but I do wonder if there's any kind of plan to use him in fun, mix-it-up packages. Right. Or, um, you know, I mean, you see teams all across college football that throw two quarterbacks out there and, and try to do some crazy things with it. I wonder if there's any kind of – any kind of utilization of his athleticism. So
2: he, I think he came to mind because just yesterday, I think I was watching some Christian McCaffrey highlights, so obviously your mind gets excited when you see that. But It's a good way to
0: spend a Thursday.
2: Yeah, I don't remember where I saw it. Some Twitter.
0: Was it Stanford um, highlights or yep Panthers yep. highlights?
2: Stanford. I think they were putting a beat down on Kansas State or something. Um, it was,
0: they were putting a beat down on everybody when Christian McCaffrey was yeah. there. They were talking, for whatever reason, the ESPN broadcast. Uh, Thursday night during the basketball game was talking about Stanford from like 2008.
2: 2008? And I'm not
0: really sure why, but like that was how boring that game was. I
2: wasn't even born in 2008. That's a joke. That's an exaggeration. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: So So baseball this weekend, they play
2: Texas Tech. Texas Tech tonight, number three, Texas Tech.
0: Okay. And then Sam Houston State. And right. then Mississippi State. Yep. Okay. And then the series with Baylor. Jax just wants to say hi. <laughs> the series with Baylor. When is that?
2: That, is that that's next gonna be weekend? same same time. Just moved to Waco, so it'll be next weekend. They were supposed to play UNO on Tuesday this coming week, and that one got postponed. Okay. Um. So that was supposed to be at Haymarket Park. Um. On the fifth, and then the series with Baylor got moved to Waco. So that'll be same. Same dates, uh, just different location.
0: Okay. And you will have uh, some stories for most of them. If there's a double header on one day, you only have one story. You won't have two. But right. Kyle Cardell on Twitter is where you follow him. You read him on hailvarsity.com. What's your Twitter handle?
2: Kyle Cardell5, I think. Okay. Still reliving the glory days with my old football number, I think.
0: Everybody has a number in their Twitter account. I had one in my Twitter account until a year ago, and then I decided to change it.
2: <laughs> yeah, grow up.
0: Sometime. So, Kyle Cardell five, it's two L's in uh, Cardell. Follow him, read his stuff on C dot com. He's our baseball guy, and he's really good. Kyle, glad to have you on the podcast finally. Appreciate we'll get, it. We'll get you back on here whenever we get more into the season. There's a little bit more to talk about.
2: Sounds good. I'm comfortable behind the mic now, so I'll look forward to it. Cool. We broke the seal. Yep. <laughs> awesome.
0: We will be back next week with another podcast. Keep it with hailvarsity.com Throughout the week, we will have plenty of football coverage. Women's soccer is back on Sunday. I will be at that game, maybe write something. Um, basketball continues, Fortunately, We will continue to write stuff about that. Uh, but football is the main thing. So be reading the site. Be reading Hot Reads every morning. And we will be back next week with another podcast. Thanks,
2: guys.